Hello and welcome to We're Only Human. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. If this is your second or more time listening to the show, welcome. I'm glad that you're here no matter how many times you've listened to the show. This is season two. This season is all about exploring who we are with conversations that begin with the question, who are you? Today's guest, I saw a post of hers on LinkedIn where she said, I am a paid performer, no quotation marks, just facts. Don't be afraid to say out loud what you want for yourself. It's not silly. And when I saw that post, I just resonate with that so much. I think it's so important for us to truly spend our time on this planet in a way that fulfills our dreams and fulfills our happiness and those around us, hopefully as well. And I think it's hard to do that. I think we all hold ourselves back. So when I saw Katie's post on LinkedIn, I had to reach out to her and and learn more about her, her journey to becoming a paid performer, and just who she is. So before we talk to Katie, let's do a quick sound check. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had leftover meatballs and I actually made salad. I'm strange. I don't like breakfast food. <laughs> I was going to say meatballs for breakfast. That's the first time I've heard that. I'm kind of intrigued. There you go. Did you, have you like had meatballs before for breakfast or is it more just Oh like- yeah. I usually have leftovers of whatever we had. I'm not, I don't like pancakes. I don't like cereal. I do like eggs, but sometimes it's just easier to heat up something already made. Today, I'm joined by Katie Parsons. She's a daughter, sister, wife, a mother, uh, education editor at Smart Brief. And when I was thinking, Katie Parsons, who is this? To me, you are somebody who is uh, important, or sorry, someone who values family, like family is important to you. Um, I also think, and I, I think this is part of why I really want to talk to you, is you seem to also be someone who believes that like being a good human and it is important in, in trying to make a positive impact on the world around us. But also like you're you strike me as somebody who is trying to live your life with intention and like create create the life that you want to live. Um, and also a helper, like someone who wants to, through your life experiences, help others along the way. So that's kind of how I thought I would describe Katie Parsons. But I'm curious, uh, if someone asked you the question, who are you, what would you say? I really like how you led with sister, you know, mother, wife, friend. Uh, I do feel like all those things are so important to the human component of who I am. I do try to infuse my work with what I love, but my work isn't my life. So I would say I am all those things. And I am living my life with intention. I know a lot of people say that, but, uh, you know, my mother was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's almost three years ago now. And I was already very much into, you know, make the most of today. All of that was sort of my already my philosophy. And then when that happened, she was just 65 at diagnosis, but had been struggling for several years. It really kind of lit a fire under me 
to sort of get rid of the things that were happening in my life that were just filler and really try to infuse more of what I was doing with intention. Um, And also getting to the heart of that, which is hard, (laughs) which is hard to find, right? Yeah, Um, absolutely. You know, you say, like me, I've always been a writer and an editor. So then you say, okay, well, I should do more writing, more editing. But I really had to really strip down who I was at that point in my life and say, well, all right, do I still want to be a writer? Do I want to be an editor? Um, Am I doing other things that I really feel called to do? And then once I figured that out, I started a pretty tedious process of trying to sort out which things I wanted to keep, which things I need to get rid of, and which things I was missing. Wow, that is a not an easy process, I would imagine. Like, where would you mm-hmm. even begin? When you found out about your mother's diagnosis, did that, did you feel a shift in like your own identity then? Did you feel a change in who you were or who, who you might become? Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know so much a shift like I'm a different person, but more like, am I being me? the me that's there. How much do I do out of obligation? How much do I do out of routine, out of habit? Uh, How much do I do to be safe? You know, I think we all, especially people who freelance, um, which I've done for a lot of my career in editing and writing, we have a lot of safe things that we fall back on. But what we don't think about is the amount of time that that's taking that we can't get back. So I really, I wouldn't say it changed my identity, but it made me even more urgent about what it is and what we're all supposed to be here doing. And it's not the same thing as each other. So like, what is the thing I'm supposed to do before I go? You know, and it could be very every day. It could be that I'm supposed to raise children who are wonderful human beings. I think that's part of it. It could be I'm supposed to write the next American novel. Uh, I'm, you know, supposed to inform people about Alzheimer's to help them prevent it. You know, it could be a myriad of things, but really getting to the heart of what, what does that look like for me? And, you know, how do I get to more of that? Does that ever, I I always think about when I wake up in the morning, I love the feeling of a new day and Mm. sometimes going to bed at night, knowing that tomorrow is sort of a, just a blank slate. It's kind of exciting. Do you ever wake up in the morning and, and just thinking about that list you just kind of went through? Do you get up in the morning and think, where do I begin? Like, what, what, what is today? You know, if I'm, if I'm here to make an impact, like, what is today supposed to achieve toward that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I've, I think I sort of, when my mom was diagnosed in retrospect, went so far on an urgency side that I think I struggled a little bit, even from a mental health perspective, but didn't realize it at the time because I felt so much pressure and anxiety to do so much at once. And that, you know, I didn't have the time and I could die tomorrow. And even if I don't die tomorrow, I could lose my mind in 10, 20, 30 years. You know, I really, it was so much urgency that it caused me a lot of anxiety. And it also caused me some depression over what I hadn't accomplished. I sort of overcorrected. And now I'm at a better place where 
I just kind of take every day as it is. I have goals. I do pause and ask myself before I say yes to things, does this align with this thing, this thing, this thing, whatever my goals may be. Um, but I wouldn't say at, like at this point I wake up and I'm like, ah, where do I even begin? Because I do have it mapped out. But sometimes if I focus too much on what is my legacy like? I'm not doing it. You know, I got to 24 seven be working on it. I do get overwhelmed, you know, and you can't get anything done in that state of mind. And to your point about the blank slate, I'm the same way. I'm a morning person. I've always been like that, but definitely more so now. And I love Mondays. You know, I always tell people I love Monday. That's like the best day of the week. It's like, I've got five days to get all my work done. You know, tomorrow I'm only going to have four days. The next day I'm only going to have three days and so on. And um, I love Mondays. There's just so much promise and opportunity in that. Uh, but you can't let yourself get overwhelmed. I love Mondays too. I've always thought Mondays are the most exciting day because it's even when you think about work, like very symbolic, it's the beginning of the traditional work week, but just also from like kind of a life perspective, it's like this brand new, like I said, like not only a brand new day, but a brand new week. And it's just, I I love that feeling of endless opportunity ahead. So I I love that you brought that up because I love Mondays too. There aren't a ton of us, but we do exist. No. Yes. <laughs> there need to, we need to convert more people. <laughs> you you mentioned that you do pause in your life. Like how how do you are there any specific like practices you use? I, I found more recently in my life that it really is important for us to pause and and to intentionally create moments and in, in time frames of pause. So I'm curious, are there any ways in that you do that like intentionally in your life? You know, it's probably pretty cliche, but I journal a lot. Um, I really start, I've always journaled a little, I'm a writer, but I really started doing it with intention about three years ago and I've cycled through different ones. You know, I started with the gratitude journals and now I do more of a free journal and I just make sure I have time for that. And some weeks that's every day, some weeks it's not, uh, but I've tried to make it not an all or nothing. You know, if I miss a day, then I just journal the next day, but that's kind of my quiet time to really like focus and and I free journal um today I'm specifically thankful for today I'm looking forward to a win from the past 24 hours was a challenge on my mind is you know and I kind of fill these out and over time as I look at them I see the patterns I see the things I'm consistently thankful for I see the things that I'm consistently challenged by you know the things that really pop out at me and it helps me as a quick way to assess how I'm doing with the intention, those challenges. If for a week straight, I'm saying this particular project, I don't have time for it. I don't have time for it. And the next month I'm saying the same thing about that project. Then that tells me you don't have time for this project, you know, or something else has to shift. And so it really helps me find patterns, which is calming, even if it's not always positive, even if there's some negative thoughts in there, it's calming to me to see it kind of all written out. And I'm, you know, I'm a black and white text kind of person, but I journal in marker. I have beautiful markers, beautiful notebooks, because the visual aspect of that to me is also very calming. I love that idea of journaling in markers. Is it, do you, 
I, I wonder if you see patterns in the almost like the visual artwork when you look back in your journal. Like, do you sense like different moods and different periods of your life through the the visuals? Yeah, I do. I, I think it's you know definitely you can tell when I'm tired, when I'm rushed. <laughs> Um, I, I tend to have a lot more colorful things, you know, on the weekend when I have more time, uh, you can kind of just glance at it without looking at the words and know how I was feeling. I really like that. You, so you live in, in in near the ocean, right? From what I understand, which I am, first of all, I love the ocean. I love water. I love warm weather. So I, the reason I bring it up though is because I'm really someone who I think we are truly affected by the environment around us and nature is so important to, to humans. Does, you know, does living in that sort of climate and, and where I imagine, you know, seeing palm trees and this probably a good amount of sun per year, um, is that part of like that intention of like, can I create the life that, that fits me most? It is. I wouldn't say that I moved here with that in mind, but then after um, I was here for a few years, I am within walking distance of the Atlantic Ocean and we do have public access. There was like a morning when my children were little um, that, you know, I was up all night. It was almost sunrise. I'm like, what the heck? I'll just walk down to the beach and I watch the sunrise. You know, we're on the East Coast of the United States. And I was like, how am I not doing this all the time? It's absolutely free. Five minutes. It's gorgeous. Most of the world cannot see this, you know, this view. Um, and so I really, that was an intention setter, even before everything happened with my mom, that I, I get to the sunrise. It used to be every single day. And now, you know, giving myself a little grace. If there's a night I'm up a little later, I have teenagers now because I'm hanging out with them. I'm not going to be like, I got to go to bed right now so I can get up early. Um, that's okay. But I get there a lot and I take pictures. You know, I I take them for myself, but I've had people say to me, you know, in the Midwest or wherever or landlocked somewhere, I wake up and I look for your picture every day. And that makes oh. me happy because they're, you know, they want to, see what I'm out doing and they know it'll be beautiful and they know it's there. Uh, and it's funny because I've, I don't do it every day anymore. And people will, people still think I do because they associate me with that. So they say, Oh yeah, you're <laughs> always out there at the sunrise. I'm like, whoa, you know, I haven't been in like five days. Oh, every day you're out there <laughs> at the sunrise. And I'm like, okay. You know, and, and I try to make little collections of pictures. So if it's a day I'm not out there, but someone just wants to look through, I've made <laughs> reels of sunrises that, strangers can watch, uh, because I really felt, I just had a moment of privilege and a moment of, wow, you know, I'm so very lucky to have this. I want to capture it for me and for others. Oh, what a, what a beautiful thing to be, or, or symbol to be associated with like sunrise. Like we just talked about new fresh blank slates for new days and people become, you know, be, you become known for for sunrise pictures, and I mean, that's just literally adding light to everyone's day. Yeah, and you know, I'm not really, I'm not a photographer per se, right? Like, I'm a social media photographer for myself and my family. But uh, sunrise, you really can't go wrong. The lighting is always good. It always looks. I feel like I can get a picture, and it looks exactly like what I'm seeing. 
Now, I've tried to take pictures of the moon before, <laughs> and those do not turn out. Those, like, it'll be like the most beautiful moon over the ocean, and it'll just look like a tiny little, you know, flying saucer or something. I'm like, bah. but sunrise, you can you can always get right, I feel like. Yeah, I remember I, I was looking at some of your sunrise pictures, and I thought, that is such a unique thing that you you do have this opportunity to really tune into that as often as you wish and i i've never i don't know how many sunrises i've seen i've definitely been a sunset person um just because i've been in situations when i've been on the um west coast of florida or the west coast of michigan looking over lake michigan where you know a sunset is uh accessible and it's sunrise i feel like you gotta be dedicated to for that early hour but sunset you, you might already be up for it um so when i was looking at your pictures i thought yeah what a it's just kind of the other side of that coin you know i thought like i never even thought about what you just described the intention you need and and the dedication to actually get up for that hour you know i mean for the, the five minutes but to get up on time to get over there like that's early in the morning but for you to share that with you know with strangers and in, in the world at large it's it's an example to me of one of those little things that we can do that you're probably like making a big difference in all these people's lives in ways you probably don't even know. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I was doing it for like a year before the first person even said to me, Oh, every day I get up. And then I felt like everyone started saying it to me. And so obviously for that first 364 days, I was just doing it for me. And of course, people would like it or comment, but I was doing it for me. And then once people kind of started saying that, I thought, you know, I don't have to go. I don't have an obligation to go. But it made me feel so happy that I'm up early, I'm going anyway, and I'm not the only one benefiting. And that's really great. And another thing I tell people, and I try to take pictures of this too, is sometimes it's more beautiful right before the sunrise. Like the 10 minutes before the sunrise, it's amazing. The sky will look completely different than when like the little bit of sun starts to come out. It's not dark, it's light, but there's no sun yet that you can see. And some of those pictures are the most beautiful. So if you kind of extrapolate that to what that means in life, right? Like sometimes something beautiful happens before you get to that end goal, whatever that end goal is. Maybe for me, it's getting the sunrise, but in the journey to seeing that day's sunrise, I saw something even more beautiful. And that's really um, a takeaway that I get from doing that. That is, a, that is a beautiful thought to think about. Do you ever think about that in the context of, um, I know you write a lot and, um, you know, whether it's books or um, of different kinds, do you ever think about that thought in context of writing like that? of all these different projects you have in play that maybe it's that just before the sunrise moment for some of them? I do try to put it in that perspective. I really try to experience the process of everything, but certainly of writing. Um, Particularly my work with Alzheimer's, I have end goals, right? I want to have a book about this done by this day. But to get there, I'm interviewing dozens of people. I'm researching things. You know, I'm enjoying the process. And I really try to do that. You know, before I talk to someone, and typically I will talk on a video chat, same thing, so I can see their face and and talk to them for an interview, I will say to myself, I am here. I am listening. 
I am willing to listen. Because sometimes, you know, we're looking at the clock. I'm going, oh, I need them to talk to me about the specific thing about Alzheimer's. But there's always a bigger story, not just about Alzheimer's, but about everything. And so if I'm really present and I'm really listening, then I'm going to hear about things that aren't on my interview outline, that aren't on my agenda. And those are the things, at least in that particular journey, that I've learned the most from. The stories people tell me that I didn't ask them about or that I didn't know they were going to tell me. And they open up uh, a new idea to me, a new sort of compassion. They give me ideas to look up whatever they were talking about, you know, and it's similar with the sunrise. You know, you just have to be there and not rush the process of all these things. What you just described is my favorite part of having these kind of conversations is because just what you what you said, there are so many amazing stories and nuggets that come out of just listening to somebody. I think it's, for me, it's one of my favorite things in the world, just as being a, a naturally curious person to listen to somebody else share, you know, their life and their story. It's like just so exciting for me. So I, I know what you mean. Uh, you're, so, Alzheimer's book, um, I know you have a couple other different, I was looking on your website and you have a couple other different um, books of, of like different genres in play. Um, where, where does the inspiration for that come from? Like, are you someone that's just um, writing regularly and just, it's just kind of streaming out or is it um, yeah. you're into different, uh, I know Alzheimer's has a very unique inspiration here, but of course, I know yeah. you have like a, a fiction book and other, other projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we can credit all of that to my mom's diagnosis, really, because I actually went to college for creative writing, but I've been a journalist and a freelance writer and editor since college. So we're talking, you know, I don't know, more than 15 years ago. (laughs) Uh, And so over the years, as a creative person and a creative writer, I've had all these different ideas, little projects I've started, not finished, wrote on when I felt like started having children, had less time to do that. And when that happened with my mom, I sat down one day and collected everything. All the Word docs I had emailed to myself, the Google docs, uh, the blog posts that I'd written that were little parts of maybe things I was going to put together later. And that's what you kind of see on my website now is I organize them all, put them out there on a public sphere, and I work on them at different times. my Alzheimer's book, Next Generation Alzheimer's, is a book, big push for me right now. I'm actually hoping to finish that this summer. And then uh, I actually have a fiction book I'm working on, and I think it's just a great escape for me right now. It's suspense. It's not about Alzheimer's. Um, it's just very, like, um, an escape to talk about things that I don't have to get facts for or whatever. I can just kind of make up a story as I go, and I've been writing on that a lot, too. Oh yeah, I imagine that's a totally, maybe a more freeing exercise in creating a work of fiction that you can just kind of, like you said, make up as you go along. Yeah, it is nice. And it's a way to just sort of, I I have so much, um, there's such a due process with anything journalistic in nature to me. Sure. I want to get it right. I yeah. want to get lots of sides and lots of facts and lots of whatever. And that's what makes it great. And that's what makes it helpful and informative. But to be free without, to not have all of those things sometimes I feel like has been really good for me too. 
to be able to do that. And I know, you know, because we've talked about, you know, I'm a performer as well. And same kind of thing in the past two and a half or three years, I hadn't performed in over a decade. I started auditioning for local plays and I did um, the Orlando International Fringe Festival last year. And I'm just kind of doing all these things and like singing places. And again, it's an escape for me because it's not my job. It's not, you know, it's just something fun I can do. But something that when I sat down and said, what am I missing that brings me joy? That was a big one that, you know, I think, oh, I'll get to later when I'm not as busy with work, when I'm not as busy with my kids. And that was one spot where I thought, even if I can just do a little bit, then I should, you know, because it's that important to me. I like that. Even if I can just do a little bit, I should. Yeah. I, uh, you mentioned being a performer. I saw a post of yours on LinkedIn and it caught my eye because you you started off by saying, I am a paid performer. And then you kind of, you know, shared that you've always, like you just said, had a passion for performing. You have a background in performing. You're, you're a performer at heart. But you, I guess at that moment, you know, you you had started to get some like money, so to speak, for performing. And you realized like, this is no longer a dream. This is reality. And I think you said in the post, I no longer have to put quotes around it. And what a yeah. moment that must have, was that, I think you had a picture of yourself with um, a bouquet of flowers, I imagine maybe from, from a show. What, what did that moment feel like? Yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, when I was a young person and I wanted to be a performer for life, success is measured by how famous you can be. Absolutely. Right? That's success. Like I got to be a movie star. I got to be on Broadway. I got to da, 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 da. And, you know, I, ended up not going that path. And, you know, with age and wisdom and all of this comes all these other thoughts. But when I first started performing again a couple years ago, I was totally fine just being a volunteer and, you know, doing it whenever I wanted. And it was about a year ago that I started writing in my journal, aspirationally, I am a paid performer. And within a month, I was getting paid work. I'm not famous. <laughs> I'm not making millions of dollars, <laughs> not the like determiner of success, but that was kind of what that post was about. Like, you know, I get paid to be in shows. People are like, we will pay you to perform in this. Would you like to do it? You know, and that's an amazing place to be. And so that was kind of celebrating that. And in the little ways that that happens, you know, I started teaching voice lessons to children and teenagers and some adults in my area because someone who normally did it was on maternity leave. And I thought I'll fill in for a little while and I got paid for it. And then I loved it so much (laughs) that, you know, she kind of came back, but she didn't want to full load that I just kept doing it because I was like, this is so much fun. And I'm paid for that too. And the next thing you know, someone's like, Oh, you teach vocal lessons. Will you be the vocal director for our show? And so I got paid for that, you know? So it was just kind of, celebrating that no, I'm not a millionaire and probably at this point can't quit my day job writing and editing over it, but that's okay. You know, I'm a professional. I'm paid to do something that I really love and that's a win. I'm so happy for you with that. Uh, You know, being a fellow creative person, there's something so I mean, we do it for the love of the creativity and it's just something we will always have to do. But to know that you're valued in, in that way, I, I imagine is just such a great feeling. You you also wrote in that post, 
don't be afraid to say out loud what you want for yourself. It's not silly. And I just, oh, I love that because especially with creativity and creative people, like I think we naturally block ourselves of like, oh, this isn't, you know, this is a hobby. This is a side thing. Like it's not something worth money or worth what society deems worthy. And when you wrote that, I just thought, oh, we all need to hear that. So true. Uh, Kind of an update to that. Just last night, I'm going to be in this year's Orlando Fringe Festival. So I'm in a new show. Congrats. And thank you so much. Um, It's called The Untold Story of Hansel and Gretel. It's a camp horror musical. So if you're in the Florida area, please come see it. It's in May. Uh, 2022. But uh, we had a little teaser show last night where basically all the shows that want to show up and they do two minutes, they can talk about their show, they can sing a song, they can do a scene, whatever. So we picked the opening scene of our show. There's six of us in the show, but only five of us are in this particular scene. And I mean, I have, I'll send you a picture, but I have this crazy wig. Everyone's like, are you trying to be Dolly Parton? Because it looks like Dolly Parton. (laughs) And we're, we have a 70s aesthetic. So I had like bell bottoms on and this like really flashy shirt. And I really did like have a moment where I looked in the mirror and I was like, I look so ridiculous right now. Like <laughs> almost like, like that middle school angst where you're like, I can't go out there like this. I had like a moment. And I mean, all my castmates are looking ridiculous too, by the way. And so are like all the other people in shows because Fringe is crazy and experimental. You know, everyone looks crazy and i had that just that moment and i had that reminder no i'm in character a no one could probably even tell it's me but even if they could like it's not silly it's fun people are gonna laugh what a gift you know i'm gonna get to have fun out there and you know when we do our whole show we get to make whole audiences laugh and it's not silly and it was kind of staring me in the mirror (laughs) This is not silly, even though you look kind of silly. This is fun, and you deserve to be good at something like this. And I uh, and to be recognized for your work in this space. So that was just a really like concrete, tangible moment where I was like, okay, this is okay. Don't let the doubt creep in. Don't let the oh, should I be spending my time in, you know, Dolly Parton wigs <laughs> at some <laughs> teaser show on a Tuesday night. Well, does it pass, you know, the passion test? Am I joyful? Yes. Am I working hard? Yes. Does this align with my values? Yes. You know, am I just having fun? Yes. That's it. Am I going to, you know, get paid for it in the end a little bit? Yes. So you just have to, when those moments, I think sometimes when you're about to do something really big, the doubt starts to come in because you as a human want to talk yourself back out of it. And we really have to push back against that. And not just for ourselves, for others. You know, if I hear other moms specifically, cause I have a lot of moms who are friends will say, Oh, well, you know, I, that's crazy for me to like train for that race or go for that job or take that trip with my girlfriends. I should, I should really do this or that. I'm the first person that'll be like, no, you should do that thing just for you. And that's okay. Right? If it brings you joy, then do it. And if people give you a hard time about it, oh, well, I am another human telling you it's not silly. 
and go for it. Um, and I know I'm, I, and I, and I really try to live that out loud. So that's kind of what you saw on LinkedIn. You know, like I try to show myself out doing these things. And there might be some people who are like, oh God, what is she doing now? Because I'm involved in so many things. <laughs> and that's okay. But I feel like hopefully there's other people, even if they never tell me, who are like, okay, well, I want to do a play. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's I, they want to do something that they've been trying to talk themselves out of, whatever that is. And then here I am, you know, in a Dolly Parton wig, doing some crazy show on a Tuesday night in Orlando. And maybe that's the thing that person needs to see to do whatever the thing is that they're doubting themselves about. And I think that's really important too. I think so. You mentioned that you're doing uh, or you're giving vocal lessons to to people of all ages. That strikes me as something that would feel even closer to your heart because not only are you creating art and then getting paid for it, but this is a sense of like, I'm teaching somebody else part of the art. Like they are looking to me as someone who is a teacher and can and can teach them and and, keep, and share that skill. Does that feel? I mean, I guess just even more heartwarming than than the other opportunities you've you've found. It's so strange because this it was like the fall, so less than a year that I've been teaching voice lessons, and it's really the only time I've ever been a teacher, ever. I guess I've mentored some people on writing and that was a similar feeling. Other than being a, on a mom. Yes, there's that. There's that, <laughs> which does come in handy when you're um, working with children and adults who are singing. But I've been so overwhelmed with how much joy and satisfaction it, it brings me. Like what you've just described. Like, I think I even said to my husband maybe a month or two after I started, I said, I really like this. I look forward to being with my students. Some of them we still meet on Zoom. I have students who don't live near me. We meet on Zoom. And at first I'm like, how does that work? Da, da, da. It works. We make it work. They have fun. I have fun. And I've just had so much gratitude for that. And really just, I've always believed with performing, especially the younger you are, right? Younger kids, it should just be fun. They shouldn't have to try to perfect anything. If you can get them hooked on music or singing at a young age and the enjoyment of it, then they're going to do it for life, whether that's professional, whether that's just for themselves. And so I really try to bring that to my lessons because I know I, growing up when I had voice teachers and stuff, I had some that were super strict and it made me not want to sing. It made me not want to do it. And so it really depends on the personality of the student, of course. But for the most part, I just try to find things they like, give them something a little bit challenging, but doable, so that they kind of get hooked on the experience and want to keep trying harder things as we go along. I'm also thinking you're doing the vocal lessons, but you're also, you you directed a play, right? Or you've you've dabbled in directing yes. as well. Yeah. So last year was crazy. So many exciting things happened with performing. But one was that I directed a show at the Orlando Fringe Festival. So I was in a show, my first time I'd ever been in a Fringe Festival, and I directed a different show. Oh, wow. So I was very busy <laughs> that month. 
the show I directed was a one-woman show and written by this uh, wonderful playwright named Lorelai Zarafian. She's uh, Parisian but lives here in Florida now. And, uh, and the show was in English, but she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And she enjoyed doing it so much that she started shopping at other places. And this was right when theaters like in New York City and all of that were reopening again in the fall. So we ended up taking that show to New York City, performing in Soho. And then we also took it to Los Angeles and performed in a Hollywood small theater and got paid to go do it. And it was just so wild, such a cool experience. Uh, I was fine just doing it in Orlando, you know, at the Fringe Festival. I was like, I'm good. This was a great experience. And then it sort of spiraled from there. And I just felt so lucky to be able to do that. Wow. Now you've been a part of touring theater. I know. Right? It's it's wild. And I'm telling you, it all started to really roll when I started writing. I'm a paid performer. One thing that I've learned when you write aspirationally or you write um, affirmations for the future, manifestations, I guess is the right word. Sure. Someone told me once, don't, so if your manifestation is I'm going to run a marathon, don't just envision the finish line. Actually think about getting up early, what the clothes look like, what it's like when you're outside running, what a rough day looks like. Envision the action too. And that really changed a lot for me. So I started with paid performer, for example, I started envisioning my face inside a playbill, you know, where they have like the face and the little information in the Instagram handle. I didn't know what show it was, but my face was in there. I started envisioning myself in New York City. In LA, not didn't know necessarily what I'd be doing there, but I started envisioning those things. And one of the ones I put is I'm a best-selling author. And I used to just envision like getting that call from the agent, right? Like you're on a bestseller list. But now I envision interviewing people, sitting at my computer, typing, querying agents, querying publishing houses. I take the time to envision all the work And then I envision the end goal. And it's great because, of course, it's not enough to sit there and envision it. But when you're doing that, it's a constant reminder to yourself to actually do the things that you're thinking about, not just the end goal, but the work to get there. And that's been really helpful to me. But you have to first know what you want those to be. And I think that's that's a difficult process. There's something called um, the passion test. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, I haven't heard of that. Um, You sit down and 15 different times you write, when my life is ideal, I am, and you fill it out 15 times. So you might say, when my life is ideal, I am performing. When my life is ideal, I am relaxing. When my life is ideal, um, you know, I am getting a promotion, you know, getting recognized for my work, whatever it may be. And they don't have to be in order, but you just do it 15 times without overthinking it. You know, take, take a little bit of time, write them all out. And then you kind of go through and see what you said. And I try to update this every six months or so. So like I put things, um, when my life is ideal, I'm sitting in the front row at my children's performances because a lot of them are performers too. (laughs) Uh, when my (laughs) life is ideal, Um, one I started writing recently was when my life is ideal, 
my family relationships, my friendships, and my work relationships are peaceful. Obviously, I can't control all of that. But in my ideal world, that's how it would be. That doesn't mean it's without conflict. That doesn't mean everyone always agrees all the time. It just means it's peaceful and I can navigate it. And that was an important one to me. Uh, I can't remember. I want to say their last name's Atwood. I'll email you with who it is. But there's a couple that developed this test. And there's more to it. There's additional questions you can ask yourself. And I find even if I do it and then do it a month later, parts of it change. Things become a little clearer. I take things off. Like I think one of the first times I put, I don't know, something something really generic. You know, I feel comfortable in my home or something. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that's a good one. But I like, I feel like maybe that's not my top 15. You know, so yeah. <laughs> you kind of swap things out as you go and you find you get a little more specific as you go. Right? Like when my life is ideal, um, my children are healthy. So that's sort of generic. It's a good one. But I found, you know, maybe it's when my life is ideal, my children are healthy, thriving, and joyful in their pursuits, right? It's fine to be physically healthy, but I want all these other things for them too. So that's a really good way, if you're not sure where to start, to see what you write and see what of those things is a big part of your life, what is not that big of a part, and what, what is like not there at all. And you need to find ways to bring it in. I love this concept. That's a, that's so interesting. A great way to almost prioritize or at least help sort out what's important and what's less important. Totally. Are your, um, you mentioned that your kids are, all, several of them are performers. Is this, uh, do you think, inspired by you? Uh, they're dabbling in there or is that just coincidence? It's, I'm sure it's a little bit of all. Sure. Um, one of my daughters, she actually has a birthday this week. She'll be 14. She's incredibly gifted. I think if she was not my daughter, she would still have found uh, music as a path. She is more, she does do plays and theater mainly because I've always made her do it. But, uh, and is fine at all those things. But when she got to middle school, she really kind of doubled down on percussion and viola. And she also plays piano. And she's learning another instrument group when she starts high school next year. So she's really tapped into being an instrumentalist, which I'm not. I mean, I, I can play piano. But she's really taken that. And I'm like, that's not really me, except that I'm able to and I can enable the opportunities for her to explore that. But that's her. You know, it's the same with my other kids. They all find their own things, but it's good for them to have a parent who either can inform some of it if they're also good at it or not. Now the opposite side of that is that my husband's really good at sports and I'm not. <laughs> so some of my kids, one plays volleyball, one plays soccer. Uh, my son plays basketball. And I'm just like, I don't know, like I'll drop you off at practice. That's all I got, you know, and, but he can help more with that. So it really does. And it's not always parents. Sometimes it's grandparents, older siblings, family, friends, neighbors, you know, if children are lucky enough to have those influences, uh, I think it really helps them a lot find those passions that they enjoy. 
Yeah, I feel like even you said your daughter, even if she wasn't your daughter, she would find that path and she's naturally talented. But I imagine you're just sort of putting gas on the fire. Like you're, you're, you know what I mean? Like she's so blessed to, to have you then to support that passion and, and help her find that and, and discover more that she might not have otherwise. That's absolutely true. I guess what I'm saying is I'm, I'm happy that I, my children share a lot of interest with me and that I can be a support to that extent, but you know, they're brilliant children in spite of me in a lot of ways. You know, I think every parent feels that way, not to, not to be mean to myself or anything, but just to say that, you know, humans find their own paths in their own ways. Totally. Yeah. I see that. I have two kids and I'm, I think about this all the time, like they're 11 and seven. I just think about like, what, what am I sharing with them? What am I encouraging? What am I, you know, when I think about dreams, like, am I empowering their dreams? Am I limiting their dreams? You know, how is that? You just, of course you hope it's all the good stuff, right? I'm empowering them. I'm showing them the sky, there is no limit and, and all that stuff. But to to your point, I mean, I start to see it already with my 11 year old, like they are their own humans and they're going to, they're going to find the path that works for them no matter what. That's so true. And I kind of have a specific example to pair with what you just said. Uh, As I mentioned, my daughter, who's going to be in high school next year, when she started middle school, she'd been in a lot of theater and chorus. And so when she wrote down her electives for middle school, which was the first time she could pick those sort of things, um, originally chorus was on there but so was orchestra, so was band, all of this. And so because of COVID, they had to restrict electives because they made the day shorter and all of that. Sure. So her guidance counselor called me over the summer and said, uh, well, she can't do band and chorus. She has to pick one and then she can do orchestra. And so on the phone, I'm like, oh, well, she'll want to do chorus, but you know, I'll run it by her. So I go to her and I'm like, oh, you know, you're not gonna be able to do band. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you can't do chorus and band. She's like, well, then I'm not going to do chorus. And I'm like, oh, what? Like, <laughs> that's not right. And she's like, well, I've already done chorus. I can sing at home. Where else am I going to learn another instrument? And at the time, she didn't know she would be doing percussion yet because they test you once you start and they put you where they think you should go. And it was my first, like, to your point where it was like, you can only bring them so far. Yeah. And then they have to make their own decisions. You know, and boy, what a great, what a great decision it was. I mean, she, like, she's just beyond gifted in percussion. And so it was a good lesson for me that, like, yes, keep enabling. Yes, keep kind of saying, hey, you know, you seem really good at this or that or whatever it may be, because that's what we should do as parents who are paying attention. But at the end of the day, if they want to try something different or something that doesn't fit your little picture of what you think they should be doing, uh, let them do it. And they'll surprise you at how successful they likely are at it. And even if they're not, just the chance, letting them have that opportunity is so important. That's such great advice. Katie, I'm, I'm so happy that you've... Um that you've found, you know, that the performing part of you has 
you know, really, uh, that you're a paid performer, to put it bluntly. And I'm so happy for you. That's, you know, that the, that aspiration coming to fruition is, is amazing. And I'm so happy that that's true as a fellow creator. And thank you for, for taking the time to share today and to chat. And I'm so happy that you were able to, that we connected. It's so weird how the universe works, but I, I really do think, you know, I was meant to, to find you and connect to you and, and learn more about your story. So thank you. I agree with you. I'm, I'm so glad we met and I'm glad you saw that post. Uh, again, that was one I just put out there and said, this is for me. But if anyone else can glean something from it, then great. And, uh, you know, I made a friend and hopefully inspired more people to not feel silly about whatever their dreams might look like. That absolutely. That to me is the beauty of the internet is that you can put something out there and hope that you affect people, but you probably will because it's just the nature of this thing we've created. Like it naturally connects people. So I just love that. Like you think about 50, 75, 100 years ago, like chance encounters like this, I feel like they couldn't have happened as easily or at all. I totally agree. And, you know, for all the problems, right, with being so hyper-connected, I feel like the connectivity has way more benefits, mainly what you've just said, uh, that we can learn so much about so many people uh, so quickly. And there's good and bad to that, but I think the good outweighs the bad. I would agree with that. Well, Mm -hmm. Katie, thank you again. I love this and I'm, I'm excited to share this. Great. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.